Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. I didn't see where a children's message made an appearance in Joshua's speech. Did y'all? Or how about a choir anthem? Bob, did you catch that? I didn't hear a doxology. I didn't hear a welcome. I'm pretty sure I missed a passing of the piece. But make no mistake, this passage, this passage describes a worship service. And although this passage may seem ancient and archaic, it parallels something that we do every week. Growing up, every week we went to church. I bet some of y'all did too. It's just what we did. We didn't just go once. We built a life around the rhythms of church. It was just simply who we were and what we did. When we considered what else we would do with our lives besides work and school and work around the house. It was the church calendar and schedule that reigned supreme. And in my household, at least, it was never questioned. I never, nor my brother or sister, had the temerity to wonder why we were doing this or that we shouldn't do this. It's just what we did. And I suspect that you grew up in a family like this also. Let's face it, at least in the South, the culture made it relatively easy to have this type of a lifestyle. In some of our communities, things shut down on Wednesday afternoons and Wednesday evenings because that's when there was the prayer service experience. Many of us also knew that Sunday, there wasn't anything to do because everything shut down. And so it made it very simple to show up and to be present. But also the fact that these were our people. This was our community. These were our friends and our neighbors whom we loved. It wasn't a chore to go and be with these people, right? We genuinely thought, what else would we do? Well, these last decades, I think we know what else you can be doing with your time and energy. And so we gather here. Some of you are gathering online because there's something about this rhythm that we call worship that brings us back to this moment. And it's the same spirit that Joshua had and is trying to instill in his people in this passage. Joshua is initiating what they call a covenant renewal ceremony. And fortunately for you, I'm not going to tell you about the history of covenant renewal ceremonies. Oh, but I could. Oh, 
wow, I could talk about the presentation of the king, and I could talk about thrones and the, the cultic rhythms of an ancient day. I'm not going to do that, except to say that that's what Joshua is doing here. We're similar because we do it too. Once a week, worship on the day that we celebrate that Jesus was raised from the dead because that's the first day, we believe, of a new season, a new reality, a new week. That's why worship is today. Y'all, what Joshua did then is what we are doing now. The worship service we participate in whether we know it or not, whether we were forced to or whether we choose to, it's all a covenant renewal ceremony. Each week, in the elements of worship that you see on the order of worship right there in front of you, we're reminded of God's grace in real time. And we do so by reminding you of how God was present in history. We tell you about it. We read about it. It's fair to say that it's hard to focus on what's being shared or read. And many of us are on autopilot. It does not change the fact that Sundays are an opportunity for us to recall what God's been up to. Additionally, in this covenant renewal experience, we're called to renew our commitment to God which is tough for us because we're good Baptists. And somehow in our DNA, we have made ourselves believe that if you say yes to Jesus when you're a child and are baptized in his name, you're done. And everything else is just extracurricular. No. The worship services that we're a part of all provide us with an opportunity to renew our commitment to God. And... The centrality of the pulpit right here reminds us of the importance of God's word. That's what's central here in our worship service. And that's important because God's word convicts us with the truth that we must take our promises to God seriously. And that feeling that we have in moments when we're paying attention where we hear God speak through this ancient living word, that feeling of discomfort, y'all, that's not the preacher meddling, that's the Holy Spirit convicting. Or at least that's what I tell myself as I drive home after worship every Sunday. In our passage that we read this morning, Joshua brings attention to how the Israelites got to where they were. He reminds them of their history and how God had provided for them. And each week, we continue to be mindful of all that God has done for us. Interestingly, where this covenant renewal ceremony happens for Joshua and God's people is key. It's important, just as worship here is important to us. For them, it was at a place called Shechem. Now, Shechem was where God first appeared to Abram in Canaan, to reaffirm the promise that he had given him. You all remember Abram, of course, coming from a far off distant land, being called to pick up and go with his family. Something that seems hard and difficult 
and untimely and strange, and yet God's picking him up and moving him to a different place. We can imagine Abram in the middle of a place he's not at all familiar with going, are, are you sure about this? Shechem is that place. It's the place where promises are made and promises are kept. So Joshua's ultimate goal is to get the people to reaffirm the promise they've made to God. That is, to be God's people. And to be God's people meant they had to act like it. So this is what Joshua says. He says, Revere the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away those other gods, the ones that have been around for a long time, the ones that your, your parents and your grandparents and their grandparents all followed, the household gods that are a part of the people's lives that we now rub elbows with. Put them away. Now, if, if you're unwilling to do that, to serve the Lord, then you need to figure out right here and now who you will serve. Whether these old gods that I'm asking you to put away or the living God. I'll tell you what, people. As for me and my household, we're going to serve the Lord. Remember here that Joshua is about done. And instead of doing what is very popular in our day and age, which is demanding loyalty for him, the leader, no. Joshua demands loyalty for the God they serve. And if you don't think that's worthy of another sermon, you're not listening carefully. Revere the Lord, serve him. I'm embarrassed to tell you that in reading this passage this week, in sitting with it, this idea of serving God seemed a little odd to me. I guess it's become so much a part of my vernacular and my understanding of faith that I, I just don't even really think about it anymore. But think about it. What Joshua is asking the people to do is to serve God. Not just believe in God. Not even just to act like God's people. Serve God. And serving God means helping, working for, or being dedicated to someone besides yourself. Now, Jesus had a few things to say about serving. And every time, serving means putting someone's, someone else's needs and wants above your own. In one striking moment with his disciples, where they are arguing about who is going to be the greatest. It's Jesus who says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones are tyrants. Not so among you, Jesus says. Whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. In worship each week, God reminds us that we're called to serve God in sincerity and faithfulness, literally doing something for God, not yourself. 
This is radical stuff, y'all, because everything in our culture wants us to be our own gods, for us to work and be dedicated to ourselves, to our own interests, desires, and motives. This is alien to us. Let's stop acting like the culture and world that we live in is encouraging us to do this. We live in a day and age that is pagan in its desire for us to worship something other than the one true God with our time, our energy, and our attention. Serving God means we've got to reorient ourselves away from the things that get an outsized amount of attention from us those things that we credit our happiness with. That's what we're worshiping. We've misplaced our attention and our fidelity away from God, the giver of all good things, to the cheap and easy things that make us smile, make us glad, make us distracted, and make the pain go away. I heard a missionary once say that when she was in Ghana, in the dominant language there, there was no way to ask the question, what is your religion? Instead, the question was, whom do you serve? That gets at the heart of it, doesn't it? Not, what is your religion? or even what is your faith, but rather, whom do you serve? Whom do you serve, really? I mean, y'all, there's a question that we serve ourselves. Your true God is the one you serve, and the one we serve is the one that we want to feed so that our desires, wants, and motivations are all answered and given to us in the way we wish. So covenant renewal ceremonies and worship, they all provide us with eyes to see that we have divided loyalties. Most of us here have claimed God as our God, but y'all, we've been way too cavalier with that. And we get the sense of that with Joshua's back and forth with his people, calling them to renew their promise to God. And the people are willing, but Joshua's not having any of it. He's like, "Mm -mm, I'm not hearing it. You answer too quickly. I hear what you're saying, but I know what's in your heart. There's this call and response back and forth. That's what, that's what needs to happen and should happen in worship for us. Where we say one thing, but that God's word convicts us to push beyond our initial, oh yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I mean, let's face it, y'all, we've got good intentions, 
But in the end, we want to honor all our different interests, all of our different desires, all of our different idols and gods. We want them to be congruent. All of our wishes and our wants, our aims, we want them all to be synthesized. We want to be able to sleep at night so we make peace with all of them. But Joshua reminds the people that their God is a jealous God. In fact, earlier we learned that God's name means jealous. It's easy to forget, of course, but perhaps we should be reminded of the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. This God, this God that brought us up out of Egypt that put us on a different path and has a hope and a future for us. This God is not like the idols who are okay with whatever we will give them. No, this God wants it all. God requires undivided loyalty. Other deities in our spheres are much more permissive so long as we continue to give them what they want, our money, the subscription of our time, energy, and presence. No. God demands everything. So Joshua tells him to serve God. It's mentioned several times, primarily as a commandment, but then at the end, as a testimony. Joshua says it. He defines himself, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I like this moment of self-definition. It reminds me of working with, with youth and college students years ago, adolescents, helping them to remember that they will be their best selves when they are actually themselves. That a person clearly defined as far more attractive than a non-person. Joshua here, he's being a person. He is clearly defined as for he and his household, that is his realm, they will serve the Lord. The covenant renewal experience, like worship, is a place where our households figure prominently. And this is a family matter, and it's worthy of we parents something to chew on. Parents and grandparents, what we do, what we value, preaches a thousand sermons to our children and our grandchildren. Consider for just a moment what you choose to do instead of strengthening your faith or orienting your life around the rhythms of faith. I know that some parents have suggested that they do not want to compel their children to adopt their faith. And I can appreciate their desire to give their children a sense of self-determination. Y'all, but listen... Good parents make their children's health a priority. Good parents know that their children need to eat well, have a safe place to be, to go to bed at a certain time, to go and attend school 
So why wouldn't parents make their children's faith a priority also? When is it that faith became that other thing that's not nearly as important as the others? Our children's faith, whether in grade school or adults, their faith is not a hobby. It's not something that you put on a resume. Our children's faith is critical to their life now and in the life to come. It reminds me of the image of climbing Mount Everest. Many of us know how deadly and dangerous that can be and that you've got to have guides and Sherpas, a whole host of folk who will help you walk a very difficult path and that at some point you will enter into the death zone. That's the place where your mind is starved of oxygen because of its elevation. Your judgment is impaired. You literally are unable to see effectively. Put one foot in front of the other. It is a critical moment. Now imagine, parents, at a time as difficult and challenging as the road called adolescence, imagining saying, you know what, the guides, the Sherpas, the support system, it's not needed. And yet that's what we do, parents and grandparents, when we begin to ratchet back our presence and our expectations with our adolescent children at such a critical time. We'd never do it on Everest. We clearly won't do it when it comes to the, the physicality of our children's needs or even their future in terms of education. Then why in the world would we do it with their faith? If we do not pass on the faith and the rhythms of faith to future generations, y'all, it's an indictment on us and a detriment to our children for not helping them to know where their strength and identity lies. I know this is a hard word, but it needs to be said. Our children know what we really worship and serve. Worship is the place where we agree to serve God. But worship is also the place where our good intentions are challenged and convicted by God's word. This is the moment where Joshua tells them, you cannot serve the Lord. You can't do it. Perhaps a better rendering of what Joshua says here is, you're not able to. I hear you people. I know that you want to. You want to serve God, but you're not able to, not with all of your other allegiances, not with all of your hopes and dreams for yourself. He's telling them, don't be quick to say yes, because you really need to understand what you are agreeing to. Y'all, we've made professions of faith so easy. It's really simple. I've found myself cajoling children and their parents into coming forward. 
And I'm embarrassed to tell you this. No, it's really far easier than you think during the last hymn when everybody's attention's on something else. You can sneak forward. You can hold your parents' hand if you want. But come down. Whisper to me what you think. I'll share it with everyone else. Nope, we're not going to ask you to say anything. You know, that practice is not consistent with the biblical witness. Or the spirit of a Christ Jesus that says that to follow him means that we forget ourselves. We die to ourselves. We forget where Jesus says that those who profess him freely before others in word and in action, Jesus will do the same to the Father. Y'all, our decision to follow Jesus should upend and reorient our lives, not simply complement what we've already got going on. Our professions of faith, they should be more than just a rite of passage. Our baptism should be a, a moment in our lives where the life that we've built for ourselves, it's unmade. And what God wants to build in us is given nourishment to thrive Whom do you serve, First Baptist Church? To whom do you pledge allegiance? I'll leave you with this. Jesus says, people, you cannot serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and something else. It's not that you shouldn't have two masters. It's that you can't. And that's not nearly a commandment as it is a fact. And I think Joshua knew that. Let us pray. God, we are here because we want your word to tell us the truth about you and the truth about ourselves. Help us to resist the temptation to shelve what you've said to us in favor of a life and a world where we strive to have it all. We pray these things in the one who teaches us what it looks like to be obedient and faithful. Amen.